Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. This is a, a new series of messages that I call Paradigms. Paradigm is, the, um, is a model that works. It's, it's the best possible way to see a situation. That's a paradigm. A synonym for a paradigm is an attitude, and so it's really about attitudes. So it's paradigms or attitudes. An attitude or a paradigm is the lens through which you see a particular person or situation. And I got to tell you right up front, man, attitudes will make you or break you, ladies and gentlemen. You got to know that. My attitude can um, make my life blessed, it can make my life efficient, it can make my life hopeful, or my attitude can make me nervous, it can put me off in another world or put me in the dumper. It'll make me a nice person to be around my attitude, or it'll make me a rotten person to be around. Same deal with you. Attitudes mean everything. Your paradigm, the lens through which you see a circumstance in your life or a given person is so important, you don't know how important. So here's three, three principles about attitudes or paradigms. Let's begin with this. Your attitude is more important than, than the facts. Your attitude is more important than the circumstances, it's more important than what others say, your past, your education, your wealth. Your attitude is more important than all that stuff. Yeah, I pray you believe that. Attitude is where it's at. Second principle is attitudes will always become actions or reactions. Again, your attitude will, will, will always become an action or a reaction, and that's simply Proverbs 23, beginning in verse 6. And this is kind of the undergirding word of God for this whole series. In Proverbs 23, 6, we read this, Do not eat the food of a stingy man, or crave his delicacies. Here it comes, Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Eat and drinks, he says to you, but his heart's not with you, and you will vomit up the little you've eaten, and you will have wasted your compliments. And so Solomon in Proverbs by the Holy Spirit tells us about a guy who feels obligated to invite you over for dinner, and that dinner cost him a pretty penny, you might say. And you're eating this dinner and you're telling them how great it is. And, and you're kind of wasting your compliments, the Word of God says, because you can see it written all over his face. You can hear it in his voice. He wishes he didn't have to do this. He didn't want to fork out the dough. He just wishes he didn't have to do this. Because maybe his boss told him, you know, hey, invite so-and-so for dinner. And make him something good. Get him filet, you know, for an appetizer. Have calamari or oysters on the half shell if you're weird and like raw oysters and stuff like that, see? And maybe the guy says, hey, why me, boss? <laughs> why do you want me to do this? And the boss says, he's a customer. We need his business. Just do it. You know, put on the dog, you know, get him all the best stuff. Proverbs 23, 7. Do not crave his delicacies, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And I, I say this a lot, but God wrote this. I didn't. God wrote this. If you have a negative or hostile thoughts, in you, thoughts toward anybody or any situation, it's written all over you. I mean, they're going to hear it in the inflection in your voice. I mean, if you're irritated, your, your voice is going to be irritated and your face is going to be irritated. It's just written all over you. Third principle about attitude, your attitude is always, always a choice. That's, that's probably the biggest one out of the three. Attitude is always a choice. That, 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 that's a principle of life that we'll come back to in so many messages. I come back to this every day. I, I, you, know, you know how often I tell myself, you know, you have a choice how you can view this situation. I tell myself that all the time. And maybe you've heard about a very Christian lady who's, she's a legend, Corey Ten Boom. 
She's Danish, or she was Danish, and she was in a Nazi concentration camp, and the soldiers did everything they could to humiliate and, and demean Corrie ten Boom. Everything. And, and she reasoned to herself. She reasoned like this. They can take away everything, but they cannot take away my right to choose my attitude. They can't make me hate them. And I will love them, and I will treat them kindly, regardless of, of what they do or say to me. And she did. And when I thought about that, I just thought about Matthew chapter 27. I thought about this, our Lord's hanging on the cross. This is verse 41. In the same way the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Ha ha. He's the king of Israel. I mean, these guys are standing beneath the cross. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from that cross and we'll believe in him. He trusted God. Let God save him now if God wants him. Isn't that awful? Because he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And what did Jesus respond to that? What was his response? Father, forgive them, right? For they know not what they do. What did Jesus just do? He chose his attitude. He chose his attitude. Attitude is a choice. And I believe because he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's why the one thief who was ranting and raving and saying all those bad things about him repented and came to faith. Anyway, three principles to begin with. Your attitude is more important than the facts. It's more important than what others say about the facts. It's more important than your past, your wealth. Secondly, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. You can't hide your attitude. And thirdly, your attitude is always a choice. There's probably about 25,000 books on attitude and maybe 40 million tapes and CDs. But a Christian is going to approach attitude from a totally different perspective. I mean, you can go to all the, 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 the corporate um, management seminars and hear all this stuff on attitude, but the Christian is going to approach this whole idea of attitude in a totally, totally different way. Because when we think about the character of God, there is every reason to be hopeful. There is every reason not to be negative. There's every reason to be positive in every circumstance, in every single circumstance. So we're talking about attitude, but for you to have a great attitude, you have to um, know what you believe about God. You have to know the character of God. And so we're going to spend just about the rest of the message talking about the character of God. And in this whole series, that's the foundation for attitude. You've got to know the character of God. And when you know and dwell on and think about the character of God, that, that, so that, that has to affect your attitude. It has to. And you're not going to find this in, in leadership books. They're not going to dwell on the character of God. But this is where it all is. I mean, I'm just going to start with this. I mean, God, God, first of all, God is triune or a trinity. And what's that mean? And you say, that's easy. God's a triangle. You know, you take three equal parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they come together and make the whole. That's not God. That's not God. The greatest theologians in the world have always depicted God as a circle. You can't divide him up. He's a circle. In God's math, one plus one plus one equals one, not three. Our math says three. God's math says one. You can't understand that. I can't understand that. There's no way. You have three distinct beings, and at the same time, you have one inseparable being. <laughs> Tell me, how can that be? See, here's something else that'll blow your mind. God's eternal. He will never end. But here's where I have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. God will never end because I'm eternal too. I'm going to be immortal. I'll rise from death and live forever too. But here's where I have a problem, that God never began. <laughs> he never began. You know, my mind wants to say, you don't know how often I think about this. My mind wants to say, you know, how can something be, you know, and never have begun? And my mind stretches for that, man, and I can't get a hold of that, but I believe it. I believe it because it's right in this word, and God's word is truth, folks. And there is no lie and there is no error in God's word. See, all I'm saying is God is triune, he's eternal, there's aspects of God I don't understand. 
You know how good that is? How really good that is? That is so good that God's beyond me. I can't figure him out. Here's the deal. He's not predictable. God has revealed most of the things about himself, but he's left certain things about himself that I just can't get a hold of and you just can't get a hold of. And he says in Isaiah 55, and I've quoted this before, he said, um, my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I say, boy, do I love that. See, it, God is not predictable. He's able to fix the messes in my life and your life and he's able to deliver me in ways I could never figure out. He's doing something I can't possibly understand, okay? He's got purposes that I don't know about and I've got confidence in that. See, I don't always know what he's doing, but here's what I know. I know he's doing. So God's triune. He's eternal. Here, here, here's one that's very precious to me. God knows everything. I mean, the catechism says it like this. God is omniscient. Omniscient. That means he knows everything. He knows every star. He's named each one. Billions and billions of stars. We read that in Isaiah. But here's what's really precious to me about God's omniscience, about God knowing everything. In John 21, Jesus says to Simon Peter, he asks him, and this is his disciple who denied him three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? And what did Peter say? This is so good. John 21, 17, he said, Lord, you know all things. He's omniscient. You know all things. You know that I love you. See, Jesus knows. See, Jesus knows. Listen. He knows the stars. He, count, he knows the number of them. He's named them all, but he knows my heart. He knows I love him. Now, why is that important? Because I do and say stuff I could kick myself for. And he knows, man. He knows my heart. He knows I really don't. He, he knows what an idiot I am sometimes. He knows I really don't want to do this. And he knows I struggle with that sin, and he knows you struggle with that sin. He forgives me, man. Then he empowers me. I love to go back to John 8. I'm using some familiar text that all you people know today, but this woman's caught in adultery. You know this. And the Pharisees condemn her, and what does Jesus say? I don't condemn you. Remember that? Go and sin no more. What did he know? What did Jesus know? He knew how he had made her. He saw the possibilities in this lady. He knew her. That's the big deal. He knows you. He knows me. He knew her. He knows your heart. He sees the possibilities in you, where you can be if you live according to his will. So he knows you. That's just tremendous to me. See, we're looking at the nature of God. This is a series on attitude, how we see life and what happens in our lives. It's how we think. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. And how you think about God has everything to do with your attitude. How you see God, that's the paradigm, the lens through which you see life. How you see God has everything to do with your attitude. How about this one? God has all power. Oh, you say that, you know, but, but listen, it's easy to say that, yeah, God's omnipotent, God has all power, but do you believe that? Let me tell you my favorite all-power story in the whole Bible. Five nations make a coalition, an alliance against the nation of Israel, and Joshua is the general. Moses had died. Joshua is the general. Joshua is leading the armies of Israel. And this massive, massive army, five kings, comes against Joshua and the Israeli armies. And God's on their side, and so Israel's kind of rolling over them. But they need more daylight to finish the job. They need more daylight. And so the sun's going down. And um, Joshua just stops on the job, you know, and he says, and I'm reading Joshua chapter 10, beginning in verse I think it's verse 12. On that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, and Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Everybody heard him cry out. O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ijalon. So he commanded the sun to stand still. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped 
till the moon, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written, listen to this, this is good. As it is written in the book of Jasher, that's a historical account. So there's a biblical account that says the sun stopped, and there's a historical account that says the sun stopped. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day, and there has never been a day like it before or since when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. One man prays. He cries out to God. I mean, just you got to dwell on this for a minute. I mean, the, rota the earth rotates on its axis once every 24 hours, right? And it, it revolves around the sun, what, every 364 and a five and a half days. So how massive is the earth? How massive is the sun? And what kind, how massive is the moon? I mean, ask yourself, what, what, you know, I ask myself, well, what kind of laws of nature, folks, are at work here? And then think, God shuts it all down because one man prayed, and you connect with that kind of power. How's your attitude? Come on, that's got to affect your attitude, your paradigm, how you see every circumstance, how you think. We don't have time to talk about um, all of God's attributes, but, but let's consider his love. Passage everybody knows, John 3, 16. God the Father in heaven so loved the world that, that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should have life forever. So God the Father gave his son, and God the Son gave his life. And then I look at Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, what is it, verse, verse 29. Is that what I want? No, I want verse 31. Listen to this. What then? I mean, just think. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Paul, Paul writes this. What then? What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know that passage from memory. God loves us so much, gave his only son. And if God's for us, come on, who can be? You know, I read that. I, I know that passage. I don't think about it when I need it. That's my problem. And then look at verse 32. This is so good. Look at the logic here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See the logic there? If God gave us the very best, his own son. The very best, his own son. Is he going to give you all the lesser stuff? I mean, I mean, won't he stop the earth and the moon and the sun if it's right for you? He can do that. If it's right, he's always going to do what's right. But if it's the right thing, he'll stop the sun, baby, I'll tell you. God can do that. How's your attitude? Man, do I love this. Just think about God's compassion in Luke 7. My favorite compassion story, and you've got to have an NIV to know this. Um, it translates the word so well. Our Lord goes to the small town of Nain, and nobody ever went to Nain. The disciples said, why are we going to Nain? Because there was a lady there whose, hus whose husband died, and her, her son just died, and she was grieving big time. This lady was grieving so bad, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew she was in the town of Nain. And the Bible says in Luke 7, 13, when he got to the town of Nain and looked at her, and I'm quoting now, he looked at the woman, and his heart went out to her. You think about the God you have. His heart went out to her. He's God. His heart. God's heart. You got to think about this. God's heart. See, if you don't think about it, it's not going to change your attitude. God's heart goes out to you. Yeah, I think about Elijah. How does God deal with us? I mean, he's sitting in this cave brooding. Picture yourself in a cave brooding somewhere. And how does God come to him in 1 Kings 19? God doesn't come as a big storm, a wind. He doesn't come as an earthquake, doesn't come as a fire. The NIV says he comes as a gentle whisper. The King James says he comes as a still, small voice. A gentle whisper, a still, small voice. How does God deal with you? Not like a windstorm, not like a fire, not like an earthquake. Once in a while, he's got to shake you up. That's true. 
But God deals with, God is so, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is so gentle. One more, one more. The Bible teaches that God is just. God is just. I mean, you watch the news enough and you're going to get rattled and say the world is so wicked, it's all going to hell. And the Bible teaches, yeah, there is injustice. But folks, God has control. He has control. He created people with free wills. And he will allow us to exercise that free will. But in eternity, and this is justice, he will reward the righteous with eternal life. And he will also punish the wicked. And the wicked will see a holy God in judgment, and they'll flee. And that's Revelation 20, verse 11. And the wicked will flee from, from, from the holy judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in 2011 of Revelation, there will be no place to flee to. And that should, folks, that should make your heart cry. But you as a believer in Jesus Christ will go to heaven to be with him forever because God is faithful to every promise he ever made. Nothing can take that from you. Our heavenly father and his son Jesus Christ will never ever let you go. That's John 10, 27. So this is a series on paradigms or attitudes and I spent a lot of time looking at God and we can never spend enough time looking at God but you gotta consider what we have. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you gotta consider. And the people who don't, who haven't, come to that point in their, their spiritual walk yet and haven't committed to Christ and we pray they will, but, but they don't have what you have. You gotta, you gotta know this and, and, and you're not boastful about this, you're grateful. I mean, you believe that God is trying you and you believe that God is eternal. That means when you reach a dead end, when you reach a dead end, what do you do? You say, okay, for other people it's a dead end, but I go beyond dead ends. I go beyond brick walls. A dead end for other people is never a dead end for me because I have this God who's triune, who's eternal, who, who, who's doing things that I have no idea, who's got all power, who's got perfect love for me. That's my God, see? And other people who don't have that reach that dead end, and what is it? It is a dead end, see? I mean, God is sovereign. He works every detail of his life to his good purpose, see? We know that no matter how evil the world gets, he has control, and no force, not devils or any circumstance, can separate us from his love. So listen, we got all that going for us. So you got to ask, how is your attitude? That all affects your attitude. Thinking about God should affect how you see every circumstance and every person. I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of you people here are negative more often than you're positive. And you can turn that negative attitude, because I am. I am, and I try not to be, and I'm getting better. But there's four steps to turn your negative attitude into a positive one, and these are all drawn from God's Word. Number one, you've got to storm God's throne with prayer. It begins with this. God hears and answers every single prayer. And you have to pray for a positive attitude. You've got to cry out for a positive attitude because a negative attitude is going to make your, it's going to make your life distra it's going to distressing and ugly. And God doesn't want you to be distressed or ugly, see? Our Heavenly Father doesn't want that. So the first thing you do is you just go before God's throne and you cry out for a great attitude and you ask God to change you from the inside out. And you know what to pray for? Ask, ask God to help you to think about Him. Now, I mean, take that outline home and just look at all these attributes of God and the Scripture references. You do that every day this week and you're going to start thinking positive. Number two, speak positively. And I know I can't always do that, neither can you. I, I sometimes have to tell people what I see and I, and I have to tell them in love. I have to do that, so do you. But I'm not going to leave them hanging. I'll always offer hope. I'll always end up positively, see. And I got to tell you, I tried this. This is a great principle. I tried this about speaking positively about the issues in your life, you just start talking to yourself positively about all these issues going on in your life. Go back to all these things we just said about the Lord, character of God. And you just think how you, how you come off to other people about the issues in your life. 
and you start talking positively to yourself about the issues in your life, you start talking positively to other people about the issues in their life and telling them what kind of a God we have. And the more you think and talk positively about it, the more it comes out of your mouth in verbal form, positively and not negatively, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to say, voila, look what just happened. You're going to start to think. Pretty soon, it's going to be natural. You know, you got choices. You know, attitude is a choice. James 3, 4, and 5 says this. You, you know, you got this tongue. With the tongue, you, we, we confess, the, we, we bless the Father, and with the same tongue, we curse men. And so you have a choice. I have a choice. You can bless or you can purse, curse, right? So that's the second step. Number three, change, to, to change your attitude from negative to positive. No matter what happens, always look for the good. Always look for the good. And this is a discipline. I mean, again, man, you've got to practice this. Yeah, it's going to be unnatural at first, but the more you practice looking for the good in every situation, every person, the more it's going to become natural and your whole attitude is going to change. And you've got to ask yourself, and I'm serious about this, well, when you have an issue in your life, you've got to ask yourself, to get, you know, did God take off into some other universe? Is God still here? Is God still part of us? Then you look at the cross. You look at the cross and you say, <laughs> does my father in heaven still love me? Just look at the cross. It goes back to that. You consider Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you ask yourself, is that a cliche or does that still stand? And your attitude will change. See, I don't care who it is. You have to look for the positives, man. It could be your boss, your husband, your wife, your child. I just, I just read this in The Awesome Power of Your Attitude. It says, in your marriage, if you're always looking for the faults, what's wrong? Centering on what you, centering on that, you're going to become dissatisfied with your marriage, with your husband or your wife, and you're, not, and, and you're also not going to bring the best out of your mate, but you're going to bring out the worst. Consequently, your whole marriage will fall into a nitpicking, negative, destructive style. That is, if you look for the worst. How do you break a negative, nitpicking, fault-finding, destructive cycle in a marriage, and I'll add any other relationship? Make yourself stop being so foolish. Stop centering on what's wrong and start focusing on what's good and look for that. Finally, fourth, take charge of your thought life. And that's back to Proverbs 23.7, the basis for this whole series. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Positive attitude or paradigm begins up here. And that's why the first step in a positive attitude is to storm God's throne in prayer. If you have to scream out for a great attitude, then scream out for it. We really are what we think. And one of the great stories in the Bible about attitude. Oh, I may have a whole sermon on this, but man, you got, you got Numbers 13. Go home and read Numbers 13 and 14. You got to read that. You got these 12 spies who go into the promised land of Canaan. The land God promised them, flowing with milk and honey. And the 12 spies scope it out and they come back. And 10 of them say, yeah, it's everything God says. It is flowing with milk and honey. But there's people who appear to me as giants there. And two, Joshua and Caleb, two spies, say, wait a minute. What did God do for us? You know, he, he, he parred the waters of the Red Sea, got us out of Egypt. He took care of every need we had in the desert for 40 years. He's fought every battle. Let's go in there and take those guys. I don't care if they're giants, see? It's how those two guys saw God. Twelve saw God the wrong way. Two guys saw God for who he really is. And that's what this whole message and whole series is about. Right there. It's how you see God. It's the paradigm, the lens through which you see every person, every situation. And that begins 
with how you see God. Man, I'll tell you something. I get a negative thought. I say, we can't do this. And this is a discipline. You know, I catch myself and I ask, why not? I I really try and discipline myself to do that and say, why not? You know, uh, I get a negative thought about some person. I'll say, what a loser about some person. And then I ask myself, does God see him as a loser? It's how you think. How you think, Father, help me to see this person as you do. It's training a personal discipline, but a positive attitude focused on God will change your life. And it's discipline, and discipline is work. So today we've seen three principles on attitude. Number one, it is more important than the facts, the circumstances, your past, your skills, or lack of them. Attitude, never forget this, is always a choice. You get to choose your attitude, always. Your attitude, number three, will always show through. It's going to make you or break you with people. Secondly, we looked at um, why we believers in Jesus Christ can be positive and hopeful and victorious, because God is who he is. And then we consider these four steps to go from being a negative to a positive person. Um, Number one, you pray for it. Number two, let it come out. let, Let hopeful, positive, uplifting, encouraging words about your own situation and about other people's situation. Just let that come out of your mouth. Thirdly, train yourself to look for the good in everything. And number four, guard your mind. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.